The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, (laughs) likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants, be submissive to your own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It feeds us, it nourishes us, it changes us. We pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear the word that is spoken this morning. We pray your anointing upon Randall, that those words that he speaks would cut deeply into our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nancy. Good morning. All right, we're gonna be continuing a series called Crafted by God. We've been going through this uh, really from the beginning of the year. We've been talking through the book of Titus. And and one of the things I enjoy is uh, we do uh, expositional preaching. And so what that is is uh, we we, we go through verse by verse uh, through the scriptures. And one of the reasons we do that is because there are scriptures that are hard to understand. And it's easy for us to say, man, I'm going to skip that. Because maybe that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't understand certain things within the scripture. So I'm going to skip that. But that's not what we do. Because we believe this is God's word. And so today we're looking at this young church in Crete. And the apostle Paul is speaking specifically to this man named Titus. Saying, here's how I want you to lead in the church. And here's what instructions I have for the people within that context in Crete. And so for us as a church, we are about two and a half years old. We talked about doing membership in a couple weeks. And, and so for us, we, we are going through this book because it's to a young church plant, uh, much like us. And so as we walk through this, um, you know, one of the things I said from the start was we had this seven-week challenge. Um, you know, if you aren't able to make it, go online, listen to the podcast, go walk through this series with us um, because our hope is that if it not be Grace City, that you find somewhere that is a a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church where you can say, I'm gonna root myself here. Because we see through scripture, there is a rootedness within the church that God calls us to as we jump in and say, God, I'm I'm, I'm a part of the family. So that's what we're looking at. And um, you know, one guy in particular took took up that challenge this past week. I had lunch with him. He's my friend Oliver. Um, He leads our productions team. And uh, he wasn't able to make it one week. And so he said, Randall, you know, I've really enjoyed this series. It's been great. Um, you know, I listened to the message a couple weeks ago. Um, I fell asleep during it, but I really liked it. It's great. So thank you, Oliver. Um, 
Our text today is Titus 2, 1 through 10. And this is, in a way, a family talk. If you were to think of um, like an older uh, grandfather figure coming around and saying, okay, family, it's time to gather around and let's talk a little bit about life. That's what this is. And so this is more of like a family talk as we get into this, this text today. And so if you're new, welcome. We're glad you're here. But really in particular, this is talking directed towards Christians, towards believers. And so the message today is this. It's, it's crafted by one another. Crafted by one another. See, there are 59 specific one another passages in Scripture um, And I'll go through just a few. One says, be at peace with each other. Another says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. And so today as we break down this passage, really it's a a text about instruction. It's about being instructed and invested in. See, because God uniquely crafts us through one another, through his word and through brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, this past week, I had the opportunity to get together with my friend Keith. Um, He's an older, wiser man in the faith. I'm so thankful for him. He's an elder at one of our partner churches. And we get to sit down and have lunch every once in a while. And, you know, sitting down with Keith, one thing that he tells me is this. He says, you know, Randall, as a young man, you need some older men who say, I've seen this movie before. I've seen this thing happen before. I've seen this narrative, this story play out before. And so here's what happened. He said, I don't do this so I can say, here's what you need to do. But I tell you this because there's some wisdom you can learn from what I experienced. And I'm thankful for that. And so we meet uh, occasionally, hopefully, usually once a month. But you need some people in your life who say, I've seen this movie before. See, we see this type of relationship played out in the scripture and uh, particularly in the, the life of Paul and Titus. Titus said, remember back in Titus 1 for this, he says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. We see again that they didn't have a similar background. They didn't have a similar cultural uh, narrative. But what they found a a commonness in is Christ. And he says, because of Christ, we've become family now. And so Paul sees himself as this father figure in Titus's life. We see it in, in the way that he even interacts with Timothy. And so what we find is this, that the health of their relationship from the start, from what we've seen, is meant to be exported into all relationships within the church. That's what we learned from this text today. Because God uniquely crafts us through one another. Uh, recently, I was uh, scrolling through Facebook this past week. And you know how it has those, uh, this happened three years ago types of things. Well, that happened to me this past week. I, uh, and it was one that meant a lot to me. I had the opportunity three years ago to lead the funeral for my grandparents, Hank and Alma Tanini. And um, of all the pictures, I was really captivated by this one picture that my brother posted. We could put it up on the screen here. 
Um, this is a picture of my grandmother, Alma, and my grandfather, Hank. And then there's my uncle in the window there, uh, peeking out. And as I looked at that picture, I thought to myself, they look about the age that Laura and I are right now. And I wonder what life was like for them in that moment, in that, that, that picture. Because fast forward in doing their funeral, this is the grandparents that I knew. And so this is Hank and Alma. And that was the picture of uh, them older in age. Um, but I can't measure the impact that this couple had on my life. I cannot measure it. Their selfless love for me and, and our family, and particularly one another, it shaped me. And as I look at the wrinkles on their face in that picture, there is a beauty in older age and wisdom that can't just be captured overnight. It takes time. See, many times in our culture, that gets overlooked. You see, we are fighting so hard against age, against wrinkles. But what we find is that the Bible doesn't dismiss that, but it honors it. See, in our society, we worship youth. Everything is about youth. It's, and, and what happens is, is there's something called ageism. It's another ism. The term was coined in 1969 by Robert Neal Butler to describe dis discrimination against seniors. And this is important because culturally and biblically, this is not how most societies in the world have treated their elderly. They've, they haven't discarded the elderly and put them to the side, but they've lifted them up and said, we have something to learn from you. Proverbs 16, 31 says this, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. And so there is a godly aging and wisdom process that happens that God says, we need to look to this and say, help me. Help me to get there. Help me to see the beauty and aging in Jesus. And so as a church, may we be a people who honors and respects our elderly. I was uh, given the great honor to go and meet up with my friend Jack. Now, Jack usually sits in the back in this area here. And uh, this is the first time I met him. Went into his home. Um, and he was sitting on his uh, couch. And we got to talk a little bit. And one of the things he said is, you know, I, I sit here and I can listen to preachers and I can talk with people, um, but really what I need more than anything is a family. I need a family. And that is what the church is. It's a family because sitting with Jack, I was able to talk and glean wisdom from him as somebody who's seen some things before in life. 
See, God commits to crafting us through every stage of life and deliberately works through our experiences to point one another to Jesus. We need each other. And the Apostle Paul gives the natural result of deep intergenerational relationships. Here's what he says. He says that the outside world will look at God's church who loves one another like this, who gleams wisdom from one another like this, and they will see the glorious teachings of Jesus come to life. It'll be different. It will be distinct. It won't be like the rest of the world. See, verse 10 tells us this. It says, in everything, they, outsiders, people who are not believers, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And so how does this happen? Well, we find in verse 1, it says this, that there is sound doctrine. As we talked about before, that, that sound can also translate as healthy, healthy teaching. The same word translated for sound is used in the Gospels when Jesus would uh, walk and heal someone. It's a set of beliefs that brings wholeness, just as Jesus brought wholeness and healing to broken people's lives. Now, beliefs and behaviors are meant to be connected, not separated. And so sometimes what happens is there are people who have great doctrine, but their life doesn't match up with it. And what Jesus is pointing us to through the Gospels and also through this word, through Titus today, as Paul is telling him, is this, that we need to be connected with our beliefs and our behavior. And a healthy life flows from healthy doctrine from healthy teaching, from what God says. And so our text today is Titus 2, 1 through 10. And just to give some background, historically, in ancient cultures, they were given rules for living. And so that's what this is in a Christian sense. It's, it's saying, here's some rules for living. Here's some things that are helpful for you um, as you go along in life as a believer in Christ. And what we need to understand is this. That the Bible, it is written to a specific time, a specific place, and a specific people. With that, knowing that, it's not written to us. It was written to Titus and the people of Crete, but it is written for us. It's written for us. And so we have to start with the context, who it's to, and then we can extract some things for our lives. Okay, because sometimes we just read the Bible and say, okay, here's what I need to do, you know, and we don't see it within the, the proper place that it needs to be. And so the context. We need to read it from there and then pull it out and say, okay, God, what are you teaching us from this? So there's some cultural differences here in the text. Um, there were older and younger. We see that here played out. And so the older, um, anywhere from 60 and above would have been considered older, younger, below that. Okay. So some of you are like, yes, <laughs> biblically, yes, I'm going with that. So Currently in our culture, we see there's a, there's a difference, right? There's younger, then there's adolescents, then there's older. We don't, we don't see that within the scriptures and the way that the, the people of this time looked at their lives. We don't see this adolescence stage. Like if, if you were younger, like they were teenagers who had jobs. Most people think that the disciples were teenagers as they're following Jesus. And so they're like real life, real world responsibilities being placed on what we would say today are kids. They're getting married. Things are happening. Like they need some guidance in their lives. And so in our culture, we've got this younger adolescents, older. And what we're seeing is that adolescence is extending further and further. We've even invented a word for dislike for this transition period, adulting. 
Adulting. Oxford Dictionary actually defines it. It's new. Um, adulting is this, the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult, especially the, especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. <laughs> adulting. I saw a joke recently. It said, um, being an adult is like folding a fitted sheet. No one knows how. If you ever try to fit you know, a fitted sheet, good luck. And so Today, we really need some godly guidance on what it means to grow and mature as men and women in Christ. And so we see the Apostle Paul break this down into three categories. He gives instructions on each group and how we should train one another in this. So here are the categories. First, Christian men. Second, Christian women. Third, Christian workers. So like I said today, he's talking specifically to Christians. So Christian men. Christian women, Christian workers. And so the first one, Christian men. So we, we see this in verses two and verse six. And so I'm gonna read them both. Um, verse two, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And we get to verse six. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And so he starts with the older men. Why? Well, Here's what uh, commentator Tim Chester says about this. He says, this suggests that older men have a temptation to be grumpy, to pick arguments, to be cynical, or to be weary of giving themselves in service. Again, the word sound literally means healthy. And so, uh, and it is so unhealthy for our faith and for the church we're a part of when we give rein to thoughts such as, this won't work, we tried it before, I don't know why we're bothering if only things were like they used to be. And you say, well, I've kind of been in some situations like that before. I've been in maybe churches like that before. But what the Apostle Paul is telling the older men is this. Be sound in faith. Don't forget that God can work beyond what happened in the past. See, when the past starts looking better than the future, there's a problem. And so the Apostle Paul calls this out. And he says, okay, this is something that is a trap that you can fall into. Now, I must confess, the older I get, the easier it is for me to complain. It is. I've already heard it within myself. These kids these days, they don't understand. They got it so easy these days. And then I'm also waking up in the morning, I'm physically hurting. I, I said, you know, what'd you do yesterday? I just... Went to bed, I woke up, and I'm hurting. I don't know why. I'm getting old. And I can see how easy it is to fall into the trap of complaining. But the Apostle Paul says, no, there's something different. He, he tells us the answer. He says, verse two, Paul breaks the usual pattern of what he usually says is faith, hope, and love. You'll see it. And inserts this word, steadfastness. He says, faith, love, steadfastness. The reason he says that is because he's saying, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's easy to complain. I know that's our natural bent, but it's going to take some steadfastness. It's going to be like in the book of Job, when God speaks to Job and he says, brace yourself like a man. It's going to be tough. 
See, this is running the race with endurance till the end. This is a willingness to not throw in the towel yet. And as you get older, it's easy to overlook your value, to underappreciate what you have to offer because you might feel like you're not the person you used to be. I just don't have it anymore. But can I say, older men in the faith, we need you. Please never retire in investing in the kingdom of God. Never retire from it. It's to the end. Because in verse six, he then addresses younger men. What does he say? He says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, there, there are a bunch of lists, right? Like you look at the categories of people and you see the things that Paul says. And then he goes to younger men and all he says is one thing. What's up with that? He knows they can't cover all those other things. And so he says, I got one thing for you. You get this locked in, you are light years ahead of where most young men are. Self-control. Because as younger men, most of the temptations we face are self-control issues. And I need to say this, with pornography running rampant, Foolish talk and profane jokes as the norm. Fits of anger and rage. Falling into that and saying, that's just who I am because I'm a man. That's not acceptable. See, we need young men to live lives of self-control. And Paul says it will take older men pouring into younger men saying, hey, That road that you're on right now, it doesn't work. That path that you're on, it's gonna cause you some damage. I need need to point you to Jesus because right now in your youth, you think this is how it's gonna work out, but it's not. So please listen to the wisdom I have for you. We need these older men to point to Jesus, us to Jesus. In August 2016, Margaret Went uh, wrote an article entitled The Lost Boys, Video Games More Fun Than Growing Up. And she says this, in the United States, uh, low-skilled young men have been adopting or dropping out of the labor force in unprecedented numbers. Um, the s- standard explanation is that they can't find jobs. But Eric Hurst, an economic uh, professor at the University of Chicago, thinks that's too simplistic. In an online interview, he said he thinks that maybe they're not that interested in finding jobs. He conducted an extensive study into how they spent their leisure time, and here are his findings. The hours that they were not working have been replaced almost one for one with leisure time. In other words, they aren't using their freed up time to take uh, retraining courses, start a business, look for other work, mind the kids, or retile the bathroom. Instead, they spend 75% of their newfound leisure time playing video games. In other words, they're addicted to video games not because they're out of work, but because playing video games is more fun than working. Now, video games aren't bad. Hear me on that. But if we're addicted to anything, 
then that is something that we're being controlled by. And what he's saying here is there should be nothing that we're controlled by other than Christ. And we are losing a, a generation of young men to video games. So younger men of this church, would you consider Paul's advice and seek out an older man to help you in your faith? To say, help me, not out of a legalistic bent, but out of a, I need to grow. I want to get better by the grace of God. The second uh, category that Paul speaks to is Christian women. And so we see in verses three through five this. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train, that, uh, and so train the younger or young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So about this, older women. Kim Shea says this, I think this is helpful. She says, being an older woman is not necessarily about being a certain age. It is about being willing to look at the younger women coming behind and desiring to see them nurtured in their faith. Okay, and so this is an encouragement to women that are further along saying, hey, would you look behind and see that there are some younger women that need some help? And so if you're older, it says to be reverent. Now, this is the same word for the priests who would enter the temple of God. They would come in with a reverence. And what the Apostle Paul is specifically saying here, it's this, that uh, as an older woman, show that God is in your life. When you walk into the room, show that God lives in you. That should be the trait of a woman who is older in faith. And then he says, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And so again, um, as there are things that can come into our lives, he says, particularly slaves to much wine. Now this is an addiction to something that can take us away from Christ. That we, we, can, we, we stop growing in Christ because we're just addicted to a substance. He says, push that aside. It's not bad to drink wine, but it's bad to be a slave to it. It's bad to, to drink too much of it. And then he says in particular, not slanders. Now this word for slanders, he says um, this. He's saying this because as we get older, it can be easier, just like I did earlier, to look at the younger and critique. And to say, man, why are they that way? Why, why are they living that way? I wouldn't have done that. And so he's saying in particular that it's easy for older women to look at younger women and say, well, they need to get their marriage right. They need to get their household in order. They need to get their kids straight. They need to do all these things. And so it's about, in particular, something that many women are particular in this life stage in this text. They were either married, they have kids. And so what was happening was there were older women who were looking at them, critiquing them, saying, this is what you should do. This is where you should be. This is how you should do things. Instead of coming alongside them and saying, I'm here to help you. I want you to grow. I want you to be better. I want to guide you in some way to help you. 
See, as we read through some of these uh, things, we, we, we see uh, that the Apostle Paul talks to and says, you know, that uh, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Like, and, and I, I want to speak to that really quickly. Uh, one of the things that we can think is, well, does that mean that women need to work in the home and that's it? No. We see Lydia, who was a godly businesswoman in Acts 16, 4. And she was an entrepreneur. And, and so if you look at her life, she was a, a godly woman that lived um, in a way where she was respected as a leader in the workplace. So that's not what Paul is saying here. But he's saying that most women were in this life stage. And he, so he's like giving direction, helping them along. So you say, okay, well, how does that work out? I, I want to point you to something. If you are a, uh, a single woman, I, I want you to, to look at um, a talk by Carolyn McCulley from the 2004 Desiring God conference called We're Not on Hold, Biblical Femininity, Femininity for Single Women. And so that's, that's a very helpful talk for you. You can walk through it and just kind of see. I don't have time to go into every detail today, but... The Apostle Paul is speaking very broadly here about most women in this life stage and they would have been married and had kids, okay? So um, in verse five, uh, the, it says the older women to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Why? Because loving the family is a process of God's grace. We do not have a natural bent, parents, to love like Jesus, right? If we were wearing a WWJD bracelet all day and we looked at it and we said, okay, I need to be like Jesus today. I just want to tell you, I would not be able to do it on my strength. If you were ridden in the car with my kids in the van, you would understand. And I invite you to anytime, really, just to experience it. It's amazing. Um, but when kids are screaming and demanding and all of these things are happening and there's all these chores, responsibilities that need to happen, it's a process of God working in us to lay our lives down. And so as the Apostle Paul is speaking here, he's saying, okay, we, I understand this is gonna be a work of grace. It's gonna be something that we're gonna need some training on, some help on. It's much like the blog that uh, Christina Gore has put together called Messy, Tired Love. That is the life of a parent. Messy, tired love. And so if you need some guidance or some help, I would say talk to Christina. She puts out some great work, gospel work in that area and does an amazing job on, on the blogs there, but really dives into that. And so... Let's continue. Paul says something next that through our cultural lens can be very controversial. Very controversial. He says this to wives. He says, be submissive to their own husbands. Now you look at that and you say, okay, Paul, who are you? Because um, you weren't even married. And so why are you telling me that I need to be submissive to my husband? And what gives you the right? Here's the thing. It wasn't the apostle Paul that gave this. It was God. It was God. And, and there, there are things, there are gonna be things that you read in the scripture and you read it on the surface, you say, 
with my cultural lens, as I look at this, that's demeaning to women. That is misogynistic. And so we look at these verses and we say, okay, I'm going to not look at this verse. I'm going to overlook this. I'm going to take other verses in the Bible. But here's the thing. We, when, when this happened, my, my, my encouragement to you is when there's something that doesn't make sense or it's hard to hear, lean into it. Say, maybe what I'm reading on the surface isn't what it means. And so I need to lean into this and learn from this. So what is Paul saying? Because some of us might be thinking, this is why I don't want to be a Christian. But I would ask you just to consider this. This is a call for wives to trust their husbands. Not to tear them down, not to slander, but to lovingly trust them. See, submission, biblically, is this loving respect for your husband. And so all of this is in the context of Christian marriage. That as a wife looks at her husband, she says, I love him, I respect him, and who he is. Kathy Keller writes this in The Meaning of Marriage. Men and women are not interchangeable unisex beings, but they have different strengths that result in men and women solving problems, building consensus, and performing leadership functions in distinct ways. It's a partnership. It's working together. And she says about her role as a wife, she says, I discovered here that my submission, the submission that Paul's talking about in marriage was a gift I offered, not a duty coerced from me. This isn't a proof text for a man to come up to you and say, see, says be submissive to your husbands. But that is completely unbiblical. First, it says to their own husbands. And so this isn't every man. No, this is the one that you said, okay, I choose to trust you, love you. I voluntarily want to marry you and, and come into a, a godly covenant with you. So this is voluntary. It's much like when Jesus says, you don't take my life, I lay it down. Right? Like There was nobody that could have took Jesus's life if he didn't lay it down. But he says, I offer this to you as a gift. This is in many ways is the wife playing the role of Jesus in the marriage to her husband. This is not abusive, domineering, or patriarchal. This is within a loving marriage where the wife and husband both display a sacrificial picture of Jesus to the world and work together to lift up and glorify Christ. If you wanna learn more about God's design for marriage, I encourage you to read The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. I think it will be helpful in learning what it looks like to, to be in a Christian marriage because the way that the world defines marriage is completely different. And so what does it look like to be in a Christian marriage the way God defines it? The last point is for Christian workers. This is verses nine and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. 
So we look at this, this word bond service can also mean slaves. And we look at this and we say, again, this is why I don't believe in this. This is the Bible condoning slavery. That's not it. Exodus 21, 16 tells us that God condemns slavery as we know it. Because again, there's a cultural lens that we see slavery and we say, oh, it's just like American slavery. But that's not the case. First uh, Timothy uh, 1, there, there's a list of sins. And one of them is enslavement, is a sin. And so God does not condone this in any way. But it was different during this time. During this time, it was voluntary. It was to work off debts. And so they weren't treated as lesser, but they were co-laborers during that time. See, Timothy Keller writes this, and this is super helpful. He says, when you hear somebody say the Bible condones slavery, you say, no, it didn't. Not the way you and I define slavery. It's not talking about that. Therefore, please consider the possibility that when you read something in the scripture and it seems very offensive, you're reading it through your cultural blinders. Okay, and so that's where we have to approach the scripture, even with Bible study or any of the things that we don't understand. What this particularly is addressing is how we approach our workplace. And he is saying that the way we approach our work, whether as a boss or an employee, can infect can affect how people view the gospel. And one of the things he says is that if you approach your work in the way that he's laying out right here, there's a possibility that people will adorn the gospel. Now, we don't use that word adorn very often, but the original language is cosmeto. And so it's like what we get our word for cosmetics, right? So it enhances beauty. And so what, what's going to make the gospel even more beautiful in people's eyes is when we're living it out. And so do you realize you can adorn the gospel through your work? You say, well, how? Good work ethic, by not wasting company time, by not stealing from your workplace, by not arguing with your boss, by not clocking in early and not doing any work. That sounds great and all, but you don't know my boss. You don't know the environment that I'm in. How is that possible? He gives us the answer at the end here. He says, through God, our Savior. Through God, our Savior. It's not going to be through your power or my power. It's going to be through God, our Savior. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, relationships, they're, they're good, but they don't define us. Work is good, but it doesn't define us. What we find at the end of the day is that God defines us. He loves us, he cares for us, and he's the one that defines us because he's our savior. He's our savior. And so when we come under the lordship of Christ, our lives begin to heal. Right? Our lives begin to change. We become more of who God intended for us to be. One of my favorite things recently has been watching um, as my kids uh, have kind of found in some way their niche in the world. And so recently, um, 
my son, who he's been on this uh, karate demo team. And the first time he tried out, he didn't make the team. But then he said, are you going to keep trying out? And he said, I'm not going to give up. And so he comes back. He tries out again. He makes the team. And this past weekend, um, you know, he's been working really hard on just getting better. And I've been working with him. I'm going to say, okay, here, I'm going to tell you some things that you might not like, but here, this is going to make you sharper. This is going to make you better. So he's like, okay, dad, I'm going to take it. I'm going to receive it. He started, he says, one of my goals is I want to go into the demo team practice and I want to be the most improved. And so yesterday we went in, his mom put him in a man bun. He felt really good about that. Really confident, walked in. He's been practicing this week and he comes in and I'm telling you, there was a moment where he had to perform in front of the whole class because they're going to nationals and he's not going because he just joined the team, but he had to perform in front of everybody. And so he gets up there and I'm telling you, it, what, he was dynamic. He was dynamic. He blew me away in front of all of his peers. And at the end of class, his sensei looked at him and said, and uh, Kai's the most improved today. It took hard work. It took a lot. But as he came under the loving authority of his parents, who just kept pushing him, pushing him, pushing him, he came out, he walked out, he said, hey, dad, I just want to thank you because I wouldn't have been able to get that today if it wasn't for you and mom. You know, and you think about that and, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a beauty that comes out of his life as he's being invested in. I've seen the same things in my daughters. They're becoming more and more the way that God designed them to be in their little personalities. It's hilarious. It's so funny just to hear them talking and growing and, and, and getting better by the grace of God. See, but there's like, a, they're coming under our leadership. And as you come under the leadership of Christ, it says, okay, there, God is your savior. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be some things that are going to really rub you the wrong way. But okay, this is what God says. Help me, God, to get better. I want to learn. I want to learn your ways. I want to be better by the grace of God. Because what happens, the response is that there's an adornment that happens where people see it and they say, wow, that's amazing. That's dynamic. So just some takeaways today. How do we move forward? Remember that our unique differences matter. Age, race, gender, all these things matter. See, the popular view today is that your biological life is an accident. There's no rhyme, no reason, the way that you are designed. But you are here for a specific purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And so are you living your God-given purpose in this stage of life? Whether you're a younger man, younger woman, older man, older woman, are you living with your purpose? If you still have breath in your lungs, you have a purpose. You're still here. And so God has that purpose for you. And are you investing in the relationships around you? You can break it down like this, mentee, peer, mentor. Is there somebody that you're a mentee of that's, okay, you're helping me. Is there somebody that you're a peer with that you're sharpening each other? Is there a mentor in your life that's speaking into you, helping you, and guiding you along the way? The next one is our everyday lives matter. Here's the thing, when you look at this, you look at the scripture, you say, that's everyday stuff. That is everyday stuff. So you don't have to add a bunch of things into your life to share the gospel with people. You just have to be intentional about when you go into your home, into your workplace, into your community, and just live out the gospel. Ask God to give you help. Ask him to to do that, and then he will open up opportunities for you to share the good news of Jesus with people. He will. It'll happen. And the last one is our, our lives are meant to display Jesus. At the lunch uh, after the funeral, I was sitting there with my cousin, Eric. And he said, Randall, I got to tell you this story about grandpa. He said, you really appreciate it. And so here's the story he told me that day. He says, um, here's the thing about my grandfather. He was an only child, joined the military young, was a soldier in the Battle of the Bulge. And while fighting for our country, he was hit in the back with shrapnel from a grenade and was caught as a POW. Um, Now, while he was captured, he was made to march 400 miles from Poland to Germany. His feet were getting frostbitten and his wound from the battle was becoming way too much for him. Through all the difficulties, he was losing hope. And as he marched in the middle of nowhere, he looked down. Laying in the snow, he saw a cross. My grandfather was a God-fearing man. In that moment, he said he found his hope. When he saw the cross, he picked it up, put it in his pocket. He told my cousin that from that point, he knew he was gonna survive. See, God provided the hope he needed. He survived and was eventually rescued out of the prison. He came back home, met my grandmother, they married, and now he showed my cousin Eric that cross that gave him the hope he needed. My cousin said he pulled out this box, opened it up, he said, this is the cross. This is it right here. This is a man who had a purple heart, bronze star, never clung to those things, never talked about them. But he held tightly to this little cross. So what I wanna say is, we need a generation. If you're younger, that will, throughout your life, look back and point people to the cross. Look at what Jesus done. It's the only hope. 
And we need a generation of older men that are going to cling and say, hey, there are a lot of accomplishments that might have happened in my life, but this is the only thing that matters is what Jesus has done for me. And point back and say, hey, I know life's crazy right now, younger men, but you need Jesus. And then through that, we can instruct and love one another just as Christ intended for his church. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your help. We can do nothing apart from you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that your word, we will speak your truth and love and hold tightly to the cross. Teach us, Lord, what it means to be men and women. Teach us what it means to be husbands, wives, Teach us what it means to be parents. Teach this church, Lord Jesus, what it means to grow older and wisdom and grace by the grace of God so that we may continue, all of us together as your body, lift up the name of Jesus Christ. It's only by him that we stand. It is only by his work that we are saved. This is God, our Savior. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.